0: Click to 2, Three, two, one. This is Radio Days Africa 2021. Audio amplified. Download the Radio Days Africa app. Search Radio Days Africa in your app store.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to Radio Days Africa, the virtual edition, the second virtual edition. It's the opening panel today and I'm Franz Kruger. Um, of the WITS Radio Academy, um, as well as the head of WITS Journalism, and we are the hosts and have been the hosts for some years of Africa's biggest radio gathering. I'm really excited um, to be here and to be joining you for this discussion today and for the next little while. After last year's virtual event, this is now the second time in the conference's 12-year history that we're unable to meet in the winter sun under the oaks on our campus here at WITS University. It's a real shame. But given the current COVID numbers here in Johannesburg and government lockdown rules, it's simply not possible. A couple of months back, we thought we might be able to organise a blended opening with some people in the room and most people online. But we gave up on the idea when the third wave picked up pace. Of course, there are advantages, too. It's easier to attend, particularly from other countries. But I do hope we can return more to normal soon, perhaps even next year well let's hope strongly that it'll be back to normal next year for now we have two packed weeks weeks with two sessions a day 21 in all for 2021 of course our first session took place this morning dealing with campus radio issues part of a new element that we've introduced called the the radio days fringe what a great session it was i hope a lot of you were there full of energy commitment and new ideas Just one additional um, new thing that I I thought I'd mention right now uh, is we've produced a podcast series, Podcasting the African Way, a series of five episodes, which can be downloaded on the conference website, um, www.radiodaysafrica.co.za. We hope to see you at many of the sessions over the next couple of weeks. Details are on that website, radiodaysafrica.coza. So far, we've seen around 2000 registrations across the two weeks, which is fantastic, despite Zoom and COVID fatigue. If you're here from outside South Africa, Africa, please do send us a note in the chat. It would be nice to know uh, what presence there is from other countries. Just a few points of housekeeping before we really get going. Please really join the discussions. There'll always be opportunities to make points and ask questions through the chat function um, and in the other usual ways. Um, there's a voice note uh, possibility also. We have a number 079 528 0000. If you're sending anything from outside South Africa, it would be plus 2779 um, So send us a voice note with your thoughts, your queries, your input, and we'll play those um, towards the end of the session. As I always say, tweet early, tweet often. It spread the conversation on social media, the hashtags rda2021 and hashtag audioamplified. And just so that you know, we're recording the conversation so people can listen back. And here's another new thing that we're doing. Um, and it is that we have a sketch artist with us, Roy Blumenthal. Um, and you'll see his work on one of the screens that should be visible to you. He's waving at you there now um uh it's a it's an innovation that was tried at our sister conference last year african investigative journalism conference um and that we're picking up now so watch his sketches of the discussion and those will also be available afterwards online i need to say just a few thank yous firstly of course to the Konrad adenauer stiftung's media program in sub-saharan africa whose ongoing and generous support has made the event possible over the last Twelve years. We are also grateful for the support from Iona FM for podcasting and streaming, RCS Sound Software, Mediaheads 360, Pod News, Wise Buddha, IMGR. The US Embassy in Pretoria supported the campus radio session this morning, and of course, the National Association of Broadcasters, who have been partners and supporters of this enterprise right from the beginning. And with that, I'd like to hand over to Nadia Bulbulia, who's the Executive Director of the NAB, the National Association of Broadcasters, who's a long-time friend of the WITS Radio Academy um, and of Radio Days Africa, for a few words of welcome. Over to you, Nadia. Thank you
2: so much, France, and absolutely wonderful to be here, albeit the second year online but an absolute pleasure, always a privilege. Uh, We've been really supportive of Radio Days from the get-go. We're delighted to be here. It's an absolutely amazing opportunity yet again to focus on all things audio and radio. Um, France, to really congratulate you and Tim uncle again on pulling this off. Um, As I said, we're really looking forward to the next few days, kicking off today right through to the 16th of July. Um, And wonderful that it's under this kind of amplified and amplification of all things audio, because I think if there's one thing we've learned, certainly since uh, the onset, sadly, of COVID, is that there's been a renewed, you know, energy around radio and renewed energy around the importance um, and the power of radio. Uh, France, we've we've observed just, you know, looking from 2020 into this year that there has been an increased opportunity for people to have access to a multiple range of of media um, across different platforms. But what we've noted, noted, which is just wonderful, is that there's been really an increased listenership to radio, of course, listenership as well to podcasting and and other um, platforms where you can access your, your audio content. But recent data from the Broadcast Research Council, and, and this was their you know, quarter one 2021 20, output, where they did some research with respondents, younger audiences, 15 to 24, and they found that of the respondents, 95% said they listen to the radio, which is great for young, young listeners. 92% said they listen every week, while 70% said they'd listen on a daily basis. And you'll be happy to know that the listening was not just your good, wonderful, solid, uh, you know, music and the diversity of programs and the diversity and range of content, of course, but was also very much talk radio. And the engagement aspect, especially given what we're going through, uh, not only in South Africa, but globally, around our need to be totally informed at all times around what's happening uh, with the virus, etc. So we've seen an uptick in engagement, we've seen an uptick in listenership. Um, UNESCO uh, did a survey of 127 countries also looking at remote learning during this period. And they found that um, there was an increase in terms of remote learning through audio, through radio, particularly, of 58% um, over the 127 countries that they surveyed. And I think you know, what, we, what we know now, especially because of what we've experienced, is that radio now more than, than ever plays that real role of, of being a companion. And I think we sit here as an intergenerational group of people. So we've got really young people, we've got older people as well. But that sense of connectedness, that sense of uh, immediacy, the sense of keeping us in a community and engaging. So, you know, a lot of the kind of commentary was radio makes me feel less alone. Um, I feel, especially during these trying times, that I have somebody that I can engage with. Uh, There's a sense also of trust, uh, trust in the communications, the, the credibility of news and information that comes out of now again traditional radio in particular. Um, and I think France and colleagues, we are so aware of, unfortunately, the misinformation, uh, the disinformation that's going on, on on certain social media platforms, and this again is where issue of trust and credibility so amplified uh, in the audio uh, space, and specifically on on traditional radio. Um, but this year we also, you know, join and get together in South Africa, under an environment where there are going to be huge policy and regulatory shifts. Um, our, our government has published a white paper on audio and audiovisual consumption, uh, uh, content services, and the the aim is really to now begin to look at at content services not only under the the pure regulated uh, ambit, but also you know content services that we now um, are able to access online. And I think we all agree that there's a huge push around um, codes, codes of standards, codes of ethics. But the protection of children and minors, and very importantly also for us, uh, around issues of incitement to violence and hate, etc. And so there's a call, I think, around looking at opportunities for self-regulation, better self-regulation uh, mechanisms and tools. Um, and I think that you know when we when we just begin to reflect on the last year, uh, we have to be honest about where there have been huge gaps in terms of the, the kind of information and communication we need, particularly during this um, health emergency with COVID-19. But as we, you know, look into going forward, I think now is really the opportunity for greater um, collaboration, for partnerships. This is your space and opportunity to share experiences, to learn lessons, uh, to strengthen um, the space that we all live and work in. It has been, of course, a very trying time. We've sadly lost colleagues in our industry. And in South Africa, we're very hopeful with our our rollout of the vaccines, that certainly journalists and and media professionals who are essential services uh, will also soon be be vaccinated. But I think it's an incredible time for us to be sitting here, again, virtually online, um, a reminder of the great inequality and disparity, the reminder of the great digital divide But also a wonderful opportunity to reflect and audit how far we've come um, as, you know, creators of content in the space. Because at the end of the day, this is all about content. This is all about engagement. Um, It is, you know, beyond the the usual entertainment, education, information, et cetera. It's about our sense of connectedness, our sense of humanity, um, and that we are so, so indeed interconnected. So I want to wish you all absolutely well and have a fantastic time. I'm really looking forward to the next few days. Um, it is indeed amplified, hashtag, hashtag, audio amplified. A uh, wonderful opportunity to see to see you again, engage again, and again to you, France, and, and to, to Tim, all the very best and congratulations. And we're really looking forward to the rest of the panels. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much, Nadia. Um, I mean, you've already, put um, a couple of the words out there that really need to be at the center of this discussion. Um, You've talked about companionship. um, And of course, you know, that is at the heart of what we do, isn't it? Um, There is an American writer called Susan Douglas, uh, who who everybody should read, who has any interest in radio, talks about the history um, of how that experience in the early days of radio, of people listening to the same thing at the same time, created a sense of companionship of community that just hadn't existed in that way before. You've talked about trust. I mean, it's a very live issue for us at the moment, um, particularly in South Africa, where we've had the story of 10 babies who turned out not to have been born in the way that it was reported. um, And which really has hit kind of trust in journalism in in quite a big way. Um, And you've talked about content, which is, of course, at the heart um, of everything that we do. And I think it's important to highlight those core issues before we even get to the question of platforms. Nevertheless, I mean, we've seen this conference and today's panel audio amplified. One could almost say that audio is the new black. The tech firms, creatives, and others exploring the opportunities offered by specifically audio communication. There's a lot of stuff going on, music streaming, podcasts and a lot of of other things in between. Recently, Twitter launched spaces where users can meet and chat and Facebook has created audio rooms in response. Who knows whether this is the next big thing, but um, the social media giants clearly believe there is potential. For the traditional radio sector, I think there's often a kind of anxiety about these things. All this activity seems like a threat, may feel like competition. But we need to remember that radio people know audio better than anybody um, and should be in a position to take advantage of new opportunities. It does need flexibility though. What we'd like to focus on with this opening panel is how radio positions itself in the growing audio landscape. And then there are a bunch of other issues that we can't ignore, like COVID and others, but we'll get to those. I'm not going to introduce uh, the panel uh, with long bios. I think you can find them online. You can read them um, for yourselves, but I'd like to welcome Ian Plankis, uh, the Chief Operating Officer at the SABC. Not the first time um, that you've been at Radio Days. It's great to have you back, Ian. Um, I would like to, in, to welcome us. Swan, who is in charge of Branded Content and Partnerships at Ireland's Public Broadcaster, RTE. Uh, and I'm not sure whether Sinazo Waraka, our final panelist, is yet with us. Um, I hope she will join us shortly. She's the CEO of Kaya Radio in Mombasa, um, Kenya. So let me ask you that question very directly, starting with you, Ian. Um, how does radio, specifically in the context of the SABC, now, of course, position itself in this new audio landscape? Are there threats? is it a is it a bunch of threats? Are there opportunities? What what does the SABC see um when it looks out across? this new landscape?
3: Thanks, uh, Franz. Uh, yeah, the power of radio um, hasn't diminished, in fact, has increased. Uh, I think we live in a society that is afraid of silence. So to break that silence, we need to do something. And, and radio seems to be a natural option. Yes, the form factors we, uh, we're seeing is changing. So from the traditional radio, they are listening in various forms. And obviously that's why you have on this uh, session as well, international people that are are tuned in as well. So we we do get a lot of that. So yes, where we are right now, it's it's both a threat, uh, depends on the lenses you look at, but we see it as an opportunity. So what we have done within the organization, is change the focus from a traditional way of looking at radio, and I'm talking about managing the radio stations, to managing it as a business. So we've changed previously, we used to have station managers, for example. We don't have station managers anymore. We now have business managers, managing the the various radio stations. Um, And it's a combination as well. We've got 19 different radio stations and we actually broadcast in 19 different languages, not just the traditional 11. Um, And it's to harness that. And so we see a huge opportunity.
4: Thank you.
1: Hi, we seem to have a cross line of some sort. Ian? Uh, Yeah, I
3: bowed bowed out at the competition.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Given that you're the biggest broadcasting organization in the country, that's remarkably um, humble of you. But please pick up the the point that you were making.
3: Um, Yeah, what I was saying is, for us, we're seeing all the changes that's happening as an opportunity. Definitely not a threat. Uh, I mentioned that we have 19 different radio stations broadcasting in 19 different languages. And right now, previously in our own operating model, we, we used to run that as Mona Liners uh, businesses, basically. Now we're looking at an integrated uh, business model and we have business managers that are responsible for more than just one radio station. Uh, we've got regional operation managers that actually look at every single radio station that's in the region. Of the 19 radio stations only three of them are actually regionally based all others have got a presence in more than one province many of them have a national presence so yeah huge opportunity for us thanks Hans.
1: so so which of the different audio platforms that are available do you see as having most potential for your for your operations is it streaming is it podcasting um, is it some of these social media platforms that are being created? Where is the best? W- yeah, where is the biggest um, opportunity? So, so
3: w- when we talk opportunity, we're obviously talking two things. We're talking uh, audiences on the one side, and then on the other side, we're talking revenue. So, if you look, we we have um, a migration, roughly about thirty percent year on year, from the traditional ways of consuming radio to more digital forms of consuming radio. Um, the one that lends itself to, from a revenue perspective through advertising, it's the digital the digital side because it can live on longer. As you know, you know on, the, on the other side, it is a real time uh, thing that you need to monetize if you're going to be doing that. So we're looking at digital as a dual strategy One, uh, to protect the current audience base and and offer them an opportunity to consume their favorite channel in different forms, uh, and as and when they want to and where they want to. Um, But two, we're also seeing it as growing. Uh, So as you know, FM frequency is saturated. So we've got growth strategies then uh, uh, predominantly into the digital space.
1: Great, right, thanks. Um, Alan, how does it look like from an Irish perspective? I mean, where are the opportunities specifically um, and where are the difficulties with regard to the new competitors, the new players on the audio landscape? Well,
0: firstly, France, instance, I just say thanks a million for, for the kind invite uh, to the event. Uh, it's just uh, fantastic to be here. And thanks for, for everyone for joining us for the chat. I suppose, um, uh, very similar to Ian, it's a double-edged sword. There's, there's, there 's countless opportunities for us in radio over the next over the next decade there's also countless challenges as well and I think just to give you a bit of kind of context about the Irish market um with a population of five and a half million people um eighty one percent of Irish people uh, listen to a radio service in Ireland every day so there's a great love of live radio within the country um only eight percent of that three hundred and thirty thousand people listen via digital device but that's growing like every organisation across the world year by year as people use more digital services be it smart speakers or through their mobile phone or podcasts and so on and um, but if you take that 77% of the country listening to an fm radio station every day in Ireland they just love radio and they love uh, all those attributes that you spoke about at the start of our conversation which was companionship friendship knowledge trust and um, and i think we need to be very careful in radio that we don't lose those advantages um, the the head start that we had over the spotify's and the amazon's and the apples of the world that head start in the audio world is, is shrinking and it's shrinking year by year and we really have to retain i think what's really special about that medium that we love um and it is that one-to-one connection it is that that trust that we have it's not an algorithm it's it's real people with real passion with real stories, and I think that's what we've definitely seen as an organization like ORT over the last twelve months. That when the pandemic hit sixteen months ago, and I and I can still remember it now. Like for instance, I haven't been in the organization physically since February of twenty twenty. I've been working from home, so we've been able to manage our radio services remotely. We've obviously our teams in the live set going in and out. Um, but what happened very quickly was Irish audiences just basically, kind of like a magnet, went straight to the radio services to get that news, to get that information, and proved very quickly that, that connection, that trust that people have with, with the medium of radio. So I think um, that's a long, a long answer to your original question, Franz. but I think that we've, we've, we've huge, huge advantages. And I think because of technology now, in one way, these companies with technology have actually extended the life of radio. Uh, if you look at AirPods, what AirPods have done uh, for podcasts, for radio, has actually increased listening, really, if you think about it. It's not it's not hassle anymore to pop out your AirPods, pop them into your ear, whereas you would have to untangle wires before. You know, smart speakers, again, that's improved at-home listening. If, if you look at the figures for us, that's improved in Ireland. If you look in America, which was very in-car listening for a long time, at-home listening has exploded in the US down to the technology. So I think... If we can manage that parallel between the technology advances, what the streaming services are doing, but we stay true to what we are in radio and, and, and punch basically to our advantage and, and what our kind of our strengths are. I think radio can have a very, very healthy future.
1: Great, thanks very much. Um, I think we're still not able to connect to Sinazo in Kenya. Um, hopefully she'll be able to join us shortly. Um, but let, let's move on to one or two other points. Um, and I'd like to bring Nadia into the conversation actually here. Um, I just a couple of weeks ago actually it was that South Africa published regulations on digital sound broadcasting services. Um, both DRM and DAB standards, DAB plus standards are catered for, but the start will be slow. If I understand the regulations correctly and maybe Nadia can um, just uh, explain exactly what the, what the, what the plan is. Um, existing licensees will be allowed to simulcast their services on digital platforms, and then three years later, the door will be open to new entrants. So that's a very slow process. Um, Nadia, how do you? What's the NAB's position on these regulations, um, and uh, how do you see the take-up developing as as time goes on? Um, before you um, come in, just let me just say to everyone: if you want to see the drawings um, being done by Roy Blumenstahl you switch to gallery view, you can choose his, um, the screen that he's broadcasting on. But Nadia, talk to us about the move to digital.
2: Thanks, France. This has been a long time coming. You may be aware that the NAB and Sadiba have been trialing um, DAB Plus and DRM has also been trialed in the country. Uh, we've actually been you know, at the forefront of pushing the policymaker and the regulator to open up this area. I need to say, France, that, of course, it's going to be in, in a staggered way where the incumbents will have the opportunity because it's about growing a market for this. Um, and we all know that, um, you know, there's there are going to be some some huge um, costs at the at the onset of all of this. Um, the regulators now publish the regulations, uh, but what they will have to do is set up a special technical committee of sorts, uh, which will include... Um you know stakeholders, the 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 signal providers as well as licensees um, and and interested stakeholders. Um, so, we're still waiting to see, you know, where that goes. I think the, the the key issues around the technical specifications, the key issues around uptake, the key issues around, um, you know, the accessibility um, of devices, um, you know, all of that's still being worked out. But I think as we've heard, uh, you know, what's happening in other jurisdictions and other parts of the world, parts of, the world of course, uh, this is a natural progression that digital audio services is exactly where we should be going. And in South Africa, that we need to make sure that we have, um, safeguarded and protected specifically spectrum to make sure that 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 is enabled so it's a wait and see for now France but delighted that it has, it has happened it's come to the stage um, and we look forward to ICASA's next steps and I'm um, you know the public broadcaster commercial players and community stations as well have all been part of the striding process of the last years.
1: But help me understand Nadia um, so existing licensees can apply for um, uh, access to to, you know, to be allowed to to simulcast, but what's the incentive? Why would an existing licensee um, put their signal on onto an additional channel that's just going to cost them money? Uh,
2: I think the interesting thing, the interesting thing, of course, with what um, I'm just sorry having problems with my tech. The interesting thing, of course, course, is that one can package very specific uh, niche content. I think we see that these as additional supplementary services, and we've certainly looked at what's happening, in, again, in other parts of the world. Uh, you know, pop- pop- Channels could be created as well, and but you know the point you make is absolutely a correct one. Is this does come at huge investment, but it is about using the opportunity to widen and broaden the environment. It's an opportunity for uh, additional services. Um, the first few years will be about seeing how that uh, you know is is bedded down and, and that it works. Um, but it's not. And remember, we mustn't get confused in South Africa. We're not switching off any FM or AM or any of that. Um, we're not doing what they've done in other countries, where they've switched totally, and they're only doing, um, you know, digital audio. Um, the, the 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 kind of strength of of our traditional broadcasting, and particularly in radio, continues. So it is an opportunity, I think, for additional services uh, for wider range for niching for different content for different content streams Um, and again it's an exciting opportunity we don't know what the uptake will be Um, it's going to be a wait and see and then that's why we need to make sure that existing broadcasters are able to to champion that and take that
1: forward I mean I was looking very quickly at the regulations that I may have missed parts of it but they talk about simulcasting not additional services so are you saying that the existing licensees will be able to launch additional services off the bat, not having to wait for a couple of years?
2: Yes, yeah, so that won't be immediate, France. Absolutely not, you're right. So it will It will be a phased approach. We are not too sure what the regulators position is going to be on that going forward. Um, But yes, um, and I think the the real issue, you you know, the entire effort around uh, digital audio broadcasting and the DAB in particular, remember we're also moving into kind of more greener environment, greener tech, Um, the the, the signal distribution costs should be coming down, it's supposed to be more efficient, it's, you know, all of those those kind of good um, outputs. But as I said, it's really too early now to say and to see what the timeline will be. Um, I know that you know broadcasters who have invested in this trial are very concerned. Uh, about where, where we will be going. At the moment they're also engaging directly with the single provider. we still don't know what the tariff structure will be like. Um, there's a lot of work that's happened in terms of uh, car manufacturers and you know, cars that are already equipped in terms of getting uh, digital audio already. So, so there's a lot that's been happening in the background over a long time. Um, right now it's just about waiting to see you know uh, how this unfolds with the regulator.
1: Yeah, a long time is the operative expression, isn't it? I mean, I remember several years ago at Radio Days Africa, we had an entire day on digital audio broadcasting, and even then um, it, seemed, uh, it seemed slow. I mean, it's good to see that there's progress, but it really has been a long time coming. Ian, from an SABC point of view, are you, how are you going to use this opportunity? Have you got committees set up? Are you standing ready to put your signal on simulcast on um, DAB Plus?
3: Yeah. So, so while we haven't, no, we haven't uh, established a committee. What we have done is create a digital team within our organization, specifically a radio digital team, um, and we're taking it from there, and, and they're plotting out the digitization uh, of our journey, basically.
1: And what's that going to look? What's that going to look
3: like? <laughs> At this stage, we don't know uh and and we certainly don't want to preempt that we're doing it in, in in stages and so we're not going big bang
1: yeah i think this is a very long way away from big bang of any sort i think it's taken an enormously long time um as i say to get to this point um but certainly interesting now i mean alan I mean, I need to hear about the Irish experience. I mean, from from what I hear is the RTE has been the only organization in Ireland that has been using DAB+, and you've just switched it off. Is it what happened?
0: Well, we switched it off in March, um, and all our services have migrated to online. So while the multiplexes shut down, the stations have stayed online so be it ort gold or specialist music stations Um, obviously the simulcasts were already online that we were doing um i wasn't involved in in that area of the organization but from anecdotally from you know my experience there was this low take-up uh, it's very expensive uh, as a, as an infrastructure uh, and i and my personal opinion is you know geographically in the country the multiplex are only available in certain regions across the country and i think for it to really take hold, it needs to be nationwide, as opposed to Dublin, Galway, kind of Cork, and then just in certain areas. Um, so, decision was made by the organisation to, to cease DAB, um, and I, I presume with a view to review. Um, but at the moment, you know, there hasn't been a, there hasn't been any if any public outcry over the closing of any DAB services. <clears throat>
1: Why was it that um, it was only RTE that was using DAB and why was it that the multiplexes were only available in some parts?
0: Um, I think there's a, like the the discussion that you're going through at the moment, um, I think there was, you know, it it was a conversation that was going on and on and on. And I think that, you know, maybe the commercial uh, entities weren't able to invest the money in it at the time Um, Ireland is split into your national radio stations regional radio stations and local radio stations Um, and again I I have to preface this friends but I wasn't involved in the 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 decision making of this so I'm not privy to the actual behind the scenes information about it Um, but from my own personal view and experience I just think that FM was so strong in ireland like uh, the stat that i gave you earlier on is like 77 on a daily basis into fm and um, why would you just simulcast the same content over and over again if you weren't going to invest in original content to go on on, on dab um and i think that geographically the size of our country as well didn't really help so if, if fm if everyone was using fm why would you go to that at the expense of trying to run a dab service basically just to relay things and we found that people You know, we're either listening to our additional DAB services through television, be it, for instance, Orti Gold, uh, was a popular uh, original DAB station, but it migrated to online. People are listening to their smartphones and through their their PCs and listening to their their televisions, um, through say a Sky platform or something like that. Um, and it didn't. There wasn't a huge outcry when it was closed down. So I think you have to justify the cost involved um, and presumably or to justify the cost by putting the money investment into the content side of things as opposed to the technology.
1: So, so the Irish experience is that um, streaming audio actually is the next step from FM.
0: It's you, you would imagine so that if people, you know, if you look at the streaming service like Spotify, uh, your Amazons, your Apples, People are are streaming songs, streaming podcasts. And I think that, you know, our services and our original content, you would imagine that people are going to listen to it to the same, to the same way, through their iPads, through their Android phones. Um, and is it really the case that people are going to invest in a, a DAB radio? Yes, some of the cars, some of the new cars that were coming on the market were thick that had DAB already placed in them. And um, personally speaking, I think the model will be that you will be, it'll be, it'll be kind of a, a, you'll you'll switch from FM to your 4G or your 5G and you'll pick up the radio stream that way. Um, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, uh, you know, that's really interesting to hear because I think that's some of the discussion, as you said, that we're going to have here. Nadia, do you think that that's a warning signal that the Irish experience um, is something that uh, we might go through here, where DAB will just not take hold at all.
2: I guess only time will tell. Um, again, you know, the point is that we, we are needing to ensure that there is sufficient spectrum for future services. Um, I think that, you know, the points raised about the approach is important, because um, we, we will only know once we get in there. Um, I think that With technology, you know, and and the kind of leapfrogging and what's going on elsewhere, that's a a lovely story to tell. The reality in South Africa, and I said this right at the opening, is the great inequality and divides that we're still confronting. So our strength is still very much in traditional services, and the public broadcaster will talk to that as well as as all the other commercial services, uh, you know, in the country, as well as the almost 250 community radio services in the country. But France, we can only be hopeful and hope that we can, you know, continue to to widen the space to work, you know, where these new technologies present an opportunity for us. And we know that there is no longer any available spectrum. So how are we going to create those opportunities? The technology is enabling that. So we've got to just jump right in. I think you're right. We've delayed for too long. We need to literally just go live. And see what happens. Um, you know, it's the same old story, regrettably, on the on the DTT migration. Look, 15 years later, we still haven't realized that full migration. Thankfully, now they, they, they're beginning to, to, to move over. So, I think, you know, what we suffer a lot of is kind of those delayed policy and regulatory processes that keep us back and hold us back. We need to just begin to proceed and to experiment and to see where it goes.
1: Yeah, I mean, what um, Alan says about take up and about the power of FM, I mean, those are things that that apply here. The thing that doesn't apply here is the, is the streaming. I think streaming is still something that um, is not a mass participation sport in South Africa. It's just too expensive. Conrad um, Schwanis, I see your question in the Q&A. Thank you very much for, for that. I think we have discussed it, but by all means, if, uh, if you want to take that discussion any further, Um, I'm sure we'd welcome that. And just to say to everybody, um, please do post your questions in the chat or in the Q&A. We'd be very grateful um, for input and for further, uh, you know, to to give us some signal of where you want to go um, with the discussion. Let's also continue the discussion on on social media with the hashtags that we've indicated, um, RDA, hashtag RDA 2021, uh, audio, hashtag audio amplified, Um, let's uh, extend this discussion as far as we possibly can. I'm really glad to be able to welcome um, uh, Sinaza Waraka, from uh, the CEO of of, um, Kaya Radio in Mombasa, Kenya, Um, to the discussion. I'm glad very much that the the internet god smiled on us um, and made the connection possible after all. Um, Thanks for joining us. Thanks for taking time. Uh, we did get going, of course, um, uh, in the hopes that you would join us. But let me take you back to the question that I kicked off with. Um, and maybe you can just give us some sense of how radio in Kenya positions itself in between all these other audio platforms. There are so many. Um, and now we've just been talking about DAB, DAB+, Plus. Um, there's podcasting, There is there are audio streaming services of various kind. What's your experience in Kenya? How does... How does radio position itself um, in this new, uh, brave new landscape? You're on mute, I think. there
4: I am. Can you hear me now?
1: Absolutely.
4: Well, that's a poor show for radio, for audio, isn't it? Sorry about that. Thank you for inviting me to the panel. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I joined in a little late, um, a bit of overlapping issues and a bit of internet, but here I am. Uh, I picked up the conversation, uh, I think where it was at the DBA, um, but just commenting on radio in Kenya at the moment, there is a huge shift, you know, like it's always been FM, but more and more the uptake of audio streaming, such as podcasts, that's there. There's a bit of an expense in streaming, and that expense, of course, is related to the telecoms, so the cost of data, that's a bit of an, in, you know, that that sort of slows down the, slows down the streaming because people definitely want to listen in and to tune in, but the cost of streaming is a little bit expensive based on the data or the telco provider. Um, in terms of reach, I think a lot of a lot of the audience, a lot of the listeners, are happy to they will try whichever whatever's coming up. They're very open to new interventions and new inventions. Um, in in terms of improving audio. The stations in terms of um, licensing, that's something that's really changed a lot. Um, And because now there's less and less requirement to have to be physically placed in, in in different places, we no longer have to seek a license for different jurisdictions within the country. And this is where the advantage of streaming comes in. It's more cost effective for the radio station. But maybe then the challenge is, and of course, more cost-effective and a wider reach. But then the challenge then is, how are we going to ensure that people are still tuning in beyond the coastal region, based on the cost of data uh, for them to be able
1: to listen in? I mean, you're based in Mombasa, if I'm right. Um, uh, Are you finding uh, that you're picking up significant uh, additional audience? in Nairobi and elsewhere?
4: What we've observed is, so yes, we are based in the coastal region. Uh, It's most people refer to Mombasa, but we're a little more interior. We're located in Kwale. And what we've picked up is more listeners are coming in from overseas. So it's really gone more cross border than more growth internally in the country. But again, I think that goes to speak about the cost of data and the cost of being able to stream, it might be a bit high for majority of the listeners in the country. There's been a bit of an uptake um, from Nairobi, and that's because our, the radio station, Radio Kaya broadcasts in vernacular. So those who can relate, who are outside of the coast, will tune in from Nairobi, but it's, it's not that many, but it's a pleasant surprise that there's been an uptake. Beyond Mombasa, the larger uptake has been globe, more international. So there'll be a lot more listeners from Europe, from the US, um, from the Middle East. So that's, you know, that's an interesting observation when we thought there'd be more listeners within the country.
1: Yeah, I think that one of the experiences that many radio people are talking about is, is how powerful the connection to home is when you can listen to a radio station that you're familiar with and that talks about your weather, the weather that's happening at home, even if you're abroad somewhere. Um, issues that the municipality may be facing and um, plays the music that's popular and so on. So there's a kind of a connection there that's created, I think, via particularly streaming, I guess, um, that is very powerful. Is there a discussion in Kenya around DAB or digital broadcast?
4: Um, The Communications Authority has started that conversation. We've not delved too deep into it. But certainly there's that openness of um, going beyond, being a bit more innovative. So it's an ongoing conversation.
1: But there's no concrete moves yet. You don't have a framework or or frequencies being made available, maxes or anything of that sort.
4: No, no, not yet. But we are open to it. I think it's just a bit of policy issues and um, getting that right so that we can proceed.
1: Yeah, sure. So let me, let me talk, talk, um, turn to issues of audience and Alan, I mean, you began talking earlier on about the ways in which um, during COVID particularly, people really turned to the public broadcaster uh, as a, you know, as a, as a trusted companion, I guess, a trusted source of information. Talk to us a little bit more about what shifts you've seen in Ireland around um, audience behaviour, what they're listening to, how they're listening um, what feedback you're getting from that side?
0: Well, I have to say all credit to my uh, colleagues in local radio in Ireland and in regional radio and ourselves as the public service broadcaster. Um, it wasn't just RTE that the public turned to. They turned to radio full stop. Um, and I think it, it, the audience, uh, the changes to audience was very similar to other um, uh, areas around the world. You know, breakfast radio, or shows around the commute were probably hit a little bit harder, and um, news programs ratings went through the roof. Whereas music stations suffered slightly. Um, that that as as kind of Ireland gets back to reopening again, the, the that kind of morning commute is increasing again. That drive commute or that in car listening is increasing again. And of course, you know, at home listening kind of exploded because basically you couldn't uh, you couldn't leave your house, so uh, <coughs> you had to do something. Um, and Radio did very well out of it, um, but I think the big factor for us was, and, and it, it, you know, it was very important to ORT as an organization. It was the trust factor that ORT came out as one of the most trusted organizations in the country because of our news service. And I think it's one of the, the highest compliments we can pay to our journalists, to our broadcasters, our research teams, our programmers um, of of the work that they did and how we were able to adapt very, very quickly um, and do things like remote broadcasting from people's houses. I remember when we we started doing remote broadcasting at the time, I was the the head of music content for 2FM. Overnight, we basically broadcast the radio station from all our presenters' sitting rooms, bedrooms and kitchens. And And the listener wasn't affected. They didn't know the difference. And that's credit to our background teams and how we were able to adapt for really, really quickly. Um, and I think the medium helped as well because the cost of the medium is quite cost effective in respect of it's not as if you're trying to do television from home uh, or video from home that we're able to, you know, flick from a traditional radio station to working from somebody's kitchen. Um, but as, as an organization, we have coped really, really well, and audiences have reacted to that across the country for every radio service in the country.
1: So numbers up, trust up, um, numbers of listening from home up. Uh, how did it affect the, the, the programmers? What changes did you make to content or to style, perhaps, of, um, of, of broadcasting? I think,
0: you know, one of the areas that, say, for instance, I was responsible for music content for 2FM at the time, and from experience, you know, one of the main ways that we would have marketed the radio station was live events and doing music events. So we would have been quite famous in Ireland for doing... Kind of live events with music, and say for instance, we had this amazing thing that we used to do with a, a DJ, where they would go on tour with our national orchestra and do these kind of mashups. And it was our, one of our main marketing drives as a radio station. So that literally just stopped overnight, and we had to really kind of adapt very quickly to what could we do at home with online quizzes, or quiz nights, or live music sessions with kind of well-known artists from from their homes. Um, and it was about dialing up the empathy for our presenters to just to try and empathise with the listener about what they were going through. A lot of people were losing their jobs. A lot of people were put on, on a furlough or were put on a, on special payment. Um, and because 2FM at the time was a youth music station, the youth of the country were really been hit hard. You know, young people couldn't go to university. Young people were losing jobs in, say, the hospitality restaurants pub industry um and our presenters it, all credit to them adapted very quickly to try and empathize with what who that person was that they were talking to and and reminded ourselves what does the listener want you know if be it rt radio one which is the biggest radio station in ireland what that audience was was up-to-the-minute news they wanted news that they could trust and we delivered that for 2fm it was how could we give people who are maybe tired by the news and, and just they just didn't want to hear the word COVID, how could we give them a release? How could we open up a whole new world for them just to take them away from, from the stresses that they had in their lives? Um, so it was about sitting down and not running the radio station like you would normally run it. You had to basically adapt very quickly and, and empathise with who you were broadcasting to.
1: And I suppose that needs deep insight. I mean, it needs knowledge of who you're talking to and what's going on out there, which is hard when you're sitting in your kitchen. I suppose you have to draw on your resources of, of, of background knowledge and experience. But I mean, isn't there also an issue for broadcasters to become quite isolated when they're broadcasting from their kitchens?
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think that that's why it was very important for our presenters to reach out into their community. You know, I think one thing that the pandemic has done was bring us closer together in the respect where you might have been in a in a situation where you mightn't have talked to your neighbor before but now you were talking over the wall or the doors were open and there was a sense of solidarity that we were all in this together um and you know obviously uh, like many radio stations we would have had uh, an insights division um that would be constantly doing Phone outs and calls and emails to try and figure out what the lay of the land data wise was of the country. And they were feeding that in on a daily basis to the programming teams. But social media became very important as well. Um, you know, we would have a very strong use of social media in Ireland, um, be it Twitter or Instagram uh, or TikTok, which has exploded for the youth audiences in Ireland. And, you know, we encouraged all our presenters to take part in those conversations, to, to you know, to really leave their bubble. Uh, and to really find out what was people, what were people talking about? What do they want from the organisation? You know, and I think that as a public service broadcaster, probably the most important thing that you can do is to listen to your audience. And if you don't do that, you're gone. That's it. It's over.
1: No, absolutely. I think that that reciprocity of of that communication flow backwards and forwards is is really essential. Ian, What changes have you seen at the ABC over the last? What is it? Eighteen months or so um, since the beginning of this crisis in terms of audience behaviour.
3: Yeah, it's it's a mix from our world. As I said, you know, having nineteen different radio stations, I can't say uh, it's a one size fits all. So we've seen different patterns on the different radio stations. So. If, for example, if you take Radio 2000, it is the fastest growing radio station in South Africa, maybe even in Africa, but it's off a low base. You know? So if we take other radio stations, we we see smaller growth, but it's off a large base. You know? So it's very difficult to, to put it across all of our different radio stations. However... Um, If I were to look at uh, the commonalities, and certainly COVID has has expedited that, it's different ways of working. So in our world, we have now uh, got remote working, for example. We've got some uh, productions that are done in the confines of people's homes, um, and we do the remote broadcasting. So we've we've definitely seen uh, that. Um, is a big focus for ourselves, you know, digitizing our own uh, infrastructure internally as well to be able to cater and meet the market trends out there. And then on the streaming side, we are busy working quite aggressively on that um, and we're just redeveloping ourselves in the way we do business.
1: So you've um, you've seen growth at a station like Radio Two Thousand. Have you seen changes in the ways in which people are listening and what kinds of things they they are listening for? Yeah, and I understand there are nineteen different radio stations and so on. But give us some examples. Give us give us some practical um, uh, insight into in, into what you're seeing out there. You must be spending a lot of time and effort reading um, the audiences.
3: Yeah. Uh, And and one thing that we are spending a lot of time on is um, basically intelligence. So that is marketing intelligence, but business intelligence uh, enterprise-wide as well. Just to understand our audiences better and obviously our business better as well. Um, And and just maybe to address the misnomers that are out there. So if I take a a registration like Wukosi, for example, It's a very loyal listenership uh, that we have. So it doesn't matter where they are in the country, and because it is a national uh, radio station, and and basically streaming internationally as well, uh, we don't see any change in terms of audiences there. We do see change in terms of audience behaviours moving from different form factors, for example. So you'll see uh, listeners there that is across the LSM. For example, we, from a commercialization point of view, we missed the plot in the past, was exactly not understanding that. So you would be able to market very effectively on there, selling Land Rovers, for example, you know, um, which wasn't the case in the past because there was the perception that it was rural based and lower uh, LSM. Uh, if, If we go to our other radio stations, for example, 5FM, you'll see a completely different thing there. Extremely loyal listeners, not to the radio station necessarily, but to the presenters and the personalities around that. Um, more younger, vibey audience and uh, more attuned into going into the digital space. And so we have greater focus on that on that side as well. So that's the luxury that we have. As I said, it's not one size fits all. We can actually look at each one of them individually. Some of our radio stations, for example, um, we are rebranding now. So we're doing market analysis and we're meeting with the customers basically and the audiences out there to understand what are their changing behaviors because it isn't just a matter of we changing here. We need to meet the changes out there. What is there? new ways of of wanting to consume the content and what is the content that they want to consume. And then we use that information basically to rebrand, refocus the registration. So we're busy with that, those registrations.
1: Thanks very much. Um, uh, just let me remind everyone that uh, you're really welcome to come into the conversation in all the different ways that we have available. Um, please do join us in the QA or in the chat, post your questions, make your comments, insights about um, digital broadcasting or audience behavior or any of the other platforms um, that we've discussed, um, any of the other issues around COVID. Uh, please do also contribute your voice notes. Um, if, you, if you have a point to make, um, there's Twitter, there are all these different channels um, that are available to you. In Sinazo, in Kenya, um, and specifically around Kaya, what what changes have you seen since the start of COVID in the ways in which people are listening to your radio station? I hope we haven't lost in Sinazo. I neglected to check before I asked the question. I think we seem to have, have lost um yeah i'm just being told she's been she's dropped off hopefully she'll come back um to us in a a minute um there's a question here from robin hunter um, back to ian why is SABC's radio 2000 growing so quickly nice concrete and specific question thank you robin Ian, why is SABC's radio 2000 growing like it is
3: uh, nice nice, concrete and, and simple answer we're meeting the needs of the listenership so we've re- rebranded we changed that's one of the radio stations that we've already done uh, more contemporary light-hearted music um, and we we definitely got that one right uh, so we're giving the listeners what they want
1: well that's a generic answer that you can give to anyone right to any question i mean specifically what is it that the radio 2000 is listeners- Want that you're not uh, that you're now giving them
4: yeah
3: it, it is uh, the change in, in the genre in terms of the music so previously, From what to what uh, and, and if you look at the past uh, the disadvantage of radio 2000 was that it was used basically as an offset. most people saw it as a sport channel uh, radio channel so you know all our sporting uh, uh, properties that we had would be exploited on there. And so it, it lost itself and, its, and in its own sense of purpose along the way. Uh, we've Exactly what we're doing with our other radio stations uh, right now, we are doing the analysis, the market analysis. We're looking at what are the target audiences that we want to attract? Um, and then we're rebranding and giving them exactly what they want.
1: So which is the target organi- audience Radio 2000?
3: It, it's 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 more the younger market that we are targeting with with, with Radio Two Thousand.
1: A younger market. Now, Radio Two Thousand's history, of course, is that it was it was a facility station. I mean, it was given originally a license by a specifically to broadcast cricket and various other things. When I was at the SABC, we put the Truth Commission hearings on Radio Two Thousand, and I mean, it, there are those who would say that you're changing that into a youth focused station is a bit of a cheat, um, in that you're getting an extra income generating station license, where in fact, it was supposed to be um, a facility station for broadcasting sport and the like.
3: Yeah, and, and it still is. The, the, the challenge is, um, with our license condition, it wasn't just sport. Um, but people were confused. In fact, uh, the brand inside the radio station was confused as well in, in terms of what it is. so it's still a facility radio station, and we still do have the national sporting events uh, that are broadcasted on there. Um, but that and, and obviously what has helped is uh, during the COVID period we had less sport you know so we could have, uh, we could focus on on uh, the rebranding in in a better sense.
1: Okay, um, here's a question from, uh, from Kutwano here. Also, don't go away Ian, I think a lot of this is for you. Um, we are gonna come by the way, onto the business side of things in a moment. But here's a question, over the last 18 months or so, we saw a big shift of revenue in the radio space. And I'll, make the, I'll ask the question more generally. Um, but for SABC stations, we saw graveyards being automated. Um, question to Ian, will this continue to be the case Or will we see a return of live presenters to the graveyard shifts? It's it's
3: a very difficult question to to answer. So we have a, a dual strategy for the graveyard shift. One is to automate it. The other, on another radio station, for example, we're using that as a development time. You know, so we're taking our young talent uh, through through that and using that uh, as the slot to develop them in. And so it will always be a combination of those two for now.
1: And it will continue to be that?
3: For now it will continue to be that.
1: Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the, about the business side of things. And again, I mean, just to invite you back into the conversation, it's great to have those comments that we've had, that, that people have put forward and, We look forward to seeing more. Um, There is also that opportunity for voice notes um, uh, if you want to to send us something and we can play it um, at the end. But Nadia, let me go back to you and ask you about uh, what you're seeing in the marketplace. Um, Tell us about what the industry is looking like as a whole. Um, How, you know, obviously the economy has affected radio as much as anyone, um, but, Generally, how are stations coping in South Africa specifically?
2: Well, I think it's been really challenging, as you know, France. Um, COVID has really just impacted so severely on the entire industry. Um, You know, at the onset and because of the change in the economy, um, advertising just, you know, was literally decimated. Um, what what has happened is there's been a lot of energy and effort around forming and again good partnerships and collaboration and certainly a renewed focus around advertisers and marketers as well. Um, I think that you know we're not alone. We've seen these shifts um, across various jurisdictions, um, and I think now it's, you know people are looking at more innovative ways of partnering. Um, what we also saw. Certainly at the onset of COVID was that overwhelming sense of community build and a lot of, um, you know, relief efforts, just incredible the way the industry responded and, and we have a report called Rising to the Contagion, which you can find also online on the NAB website, which really just shows you, it you just snapshot of certainly how the commercial radio industry uh, responded um, um, yes. Sorry, and quickly people. got into you know a range of efforts, um, but more importantly, I think to the point that was raised earlier, around COVID fatigue, um, and what we're seeing now is more creative ways of keeping people engaged, but also to to pivot around more hope because I think this entire environment is being extremely depressing. We need to accept that. So I think it's been tough, um, France. It's been really, really hard. We've all looked at, you know, COVID relief efforts. Certainly through government, we've been looking at additional funding and support. That's just not happened. Um, the public broadcaster, along with other and especially the community sector, I think have really, really gone through a, a you know, a major crisis. Um, and I think that, you know, there's all these efforts around how do we start looking at investing um, more directly? What are the opportunities? So I think the sustainability, you know, project is one that every one of you know, our, our players in the market are experiencing, although there has been an uptick certainly in this year. Um, and I think it's again goes to the point of of meaningful partnerships and collaboration.
1: Yeah, I mean, working together is really the answer. Before you go, Nadia, there's a question here from Gordon Miller, and which maybe, um, I mean, I'll, you know, anybody can, can weigh in, of course, but I think maybe um, you'd like to respond. Um, in a few weeks' time, the BRC will release the first set of RAMS data, which will reshape radio diary-based audience projections. What are broadcasters anticipating from the digital panel and CATI data? Audiences up, down? or just different. Rate right? cards, of course, are based on audiences, so there's huge potential for revenue disruption. That's from Gordon.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Gordon. I guess we're going to have to wait and see as well. And you know, the impact of COVID in terms of research, you couldn't actually do the door-to-door research, you can't engage with people, you know, things are having to happen online, et cetera. Uh, We even saw, you know, uh, stats A and other, you know, census data all having to change in the way that we use different tools uh, for measurement. So I think we're going to have to wait and see. Um, Just the preliminary data, kind of quarter one, it was really, really encouraging to see uh, the increase, as I said, certainly in in listenership and people listening for longer. I, I don't want to make any comment around, you know, what, what th- that, that will show, let's, let's see what happens. We hope that it's going to, to be on the up, but I think that, you know, marketers and advertisers, and, and you know, France, at the end of the day, this is the lifeblood of this industry. They it through advertising revenue. Um, advertisers themselves, I think, have gone through their own shifts and changes. And I think when we talked about issues of trust, issues of trust permeate across, uh, you know, the, the marketing communications environment as well. So I think that there, there, there is an opportunity to find you know those gems um, in working much more closely. Um, the, you know the advertising part they've always said it's like fixed. We've seen a lot of advertising spend going online. Uh, we need to get really good data and, and good tools to be able to see what's happening to the advertising. Um, as regulated industries, we're very concerned with other platforms. There's a real concern around, you know, the big multinationals. Uh, there's a huge concern around advertising moving on to other platforms. And really, that impacts quite negatively on traditional services who are licensed, to have very onerous obligations and requirements, who make huge contributions, as we know. Uh, to job creation, content creation, etc. So it's a wait and see. I mean, everything what we do know, everything's uncertain, and that continues to be so.
1: Thanks. Um, I see uh, some points in the Q and A, and also some new points in the in the chat, which I'll come back to. But you know, this question of audience research, Alan. Um, I mean, how in Ireland uh, is audience research being done? When, so cert- I mean, I, I imagine you have the same difficulties with with question, with uh, diary-based research as we do here.
0: Yeah, as- uh, yeah our surveys, they're called the JNLR and, uh, and they're diary-based as well. So there was a period where that just stopped. And um, so you were kind of left in limbo for a little while. It, it's back now. Um, but I think there was an interesting swing towards analyzing our streams um, and very interesting to see on our radio services and i can talk about 2fm because when i was involved there you would look at kind of streams happening in the moment and live and you could figure out pretty quickly if there were certain pieces of content that weren't working because you would see the streams drop off um so, you, so there was there was kind of new ways of kind of analyzing what we were doing um and again it all came back to as well kind of you know Making sure we were talking to our audience because they were telling us pretty quickly um, what we were doing right and what we were doing wrong. But yeah, absolutely. You know, your your ratings are your currency to work within the ad market. Um, T is dual funded, so we receive license fee, but also we have managed to take commercial advertising as well. Um, and one of the things that we tried to do more as an organisation was to not be as siloed. Um, And for the radio division to work more closely with television division and online um, to offer advertisers uh, kind of a a one reach figure as opposed to if you're, you know, I I work now as I lead all the branded content partnerships for ORT as as an organization. And, you know, if we work, for instance, we're working with a major soft drinks manufacturer at the moment on on a TV series that we're doing. And one of the points that we made to the advertiser was, you know, obviously we're running this on our, on our VOD, on our, on our player um, that we have for television. Uh, but also we were able to do some really interesting kind of radio segments about it. We were able to do some social media about it, native advertising. Um, and we're able to say, look, it's not just a television program anymore. It's um, kind of a multimedia approach. And here is how your messaging is getting across to all these people. And in return, we got a wonderful piece of content made for the audience um so it's about kind of you know boxing clever and adapting to the situation that you're in and you know no different to your market you know the advertising industry was put on hold at the beginning of covid and things were cancelled or reorganized or you know um obviously there was a lot of campaigns booked in regarding the information sharing of of what to do for covid um and hopefully now with ireland coming out of lockdown and things reopening we are seeing a lot more advertising and a lot more events happening so that's a positive for us.
1: I was about to ask you about RT's funding model because uh, I was struck by the fact that RT is a public broadcaster, and you're head of partnerships. So, just say a little bit more about how that works. Um, I mean, is there a limit to how much you can take from advertising, uh, or is uh, yeah, how does, how does yeah? So,
0: so, so, there is there is a, a, a limit to your a minutage for the amount of spots and ads that you can run on our television and radio services. Um, again, we would be very particular as a as a public service broadcaster that our independence uh, is never put in jeopardy um, regarding an advertiser. So our editorial line is is final, and you know there is a, there is a, a, a deep rooted respect between the advertising industry and what we offer an ORT. And I think the, the payoff for that is that we're such a trusted organisation, and we take that very very seriously. Um, and I think that's a, a benefit to the people who fund programs through the advertising sector authority. that they know that the audience, the reason that our audience has increased um, in radio and on television is because the audience trusts us and we, and we take that very, very seriously. Um, but as an organization, we try to come up with innov- innovative ways of, of trying to um, fund the content because at the end of the day, we want to give value for money for our license fee payers. Um, and we believe with some of the advertising uh, arrangements that we do in partnerships, that helps fund great programming for the for the viewer and for the listener um so we've been lucky
1: and very quickly what is roughly the the proportion between public funding and commercial funding
0: i don't have those figures to hand france in front of me um it would be predominantly of course the 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 public service um money that's coming in but i can get those figures for you
1: well it was just, a, just as a matter of interest. I mean, we're, we're unusual in that our SABC is almost entirely commercially funded with a small amount of income from, from license fees. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in general terms, then in Ireland, um, the radio market has adapted, you're saying, um, to, the, to the COVID situation? it hasn't been hit too hard or has it hit oh no it, no it has been hit hard
0: like there's there's there is no doubt very much like your market there's, there's been mm. you know across the world the, the, like i i i don't think there is there's very few industries that have not been hit hard by what has happened over the last 16 months um the radio industry is no different um i think we've been we've had great support um which is which undoubtedly from from all sectors and um, but it has been very, very difficult, and um, because obviously salaries have to be paid, uh, you know, uh, radio stations have to be run, transmitters have to stay on, um. So you know, it has been. I can't stand here and say it hasn't been difficult. It has been very difficult. But I think the the advantage that we have as an industry is that we can react very quickly for when things open up, um. And I think that's the advantage that the radio industry has that we can that we can adapt really, really quickly. You know, unlike maybe certain other industries in the media where if you're working say on a television program or you're running a kind of a tv i came in they're a lot harder to turn around very quickly whereas if with our industry in radio we can turn things around really really quickly we can do smart things with audio um, and that's that's to our advantage as we move hopefully to better days with with people the vaccine take up
1: mm. Which takes us back to the power of audio, which is pretty much where we started. So there is there are some really interesting questions here and points being made in the chat, which I'd like to, to put to, to some of you. Andre Kun says, with the uprising, with the, ri- the rise of podcasting, would it be safe to say that content marketing is on high demand in the radio space? Secondly, as an industry, are we moving towards talk radio because music is so readily available on other devices? Does radio become more of a talk medium and less of a music medium, Alan?
0: Um, yes and no. I think that music, I think, and my personal opinion, would be, I think, the days... Um, well, two, there's, there's, two, there's two answers to that. Number one, I think curation is very, very important. And I think, you know, millions of songs are ingested into the streaming services on a daily basis. And you've got this wealth... Of, of music at your fingertips on your phone, but the difficulty is is that you spend more time trying to figure out what song to listen to than actually listen to some music, same with you know with with streaming and television is that you spend more time trying to figure out what box I will I watch next, as opposed to you know some very specialized curated offerings given to you and I think we, for music um, radio stations there's a real opportunity to become a really trusted curated source of music that you know that when you listen to that radio station, you're going to get something special. You're going to hear music that's of, of now or that people are talking about, and also some surprises. And I think it goes back to those days of why people connected with radio in the early days of, of a DJ playing a song that they were passionate about for the first time, talking about the song, the lyrics of the song, the story of the song, and saying, hey, you haven't heard this song, as opposed to New Music Friday pops up on your Spotify. And you've just got like 50 songs. And you go, well, what do I listen to? And you start, you start at the top and you work your way down to the bottom. And that's, I think, the advantage that radio have. And that's why the Spotifys and Amazons or Apple are spending so much money on content because they're trying, in effect, they're trying to be a radio station to a certain extent because they're trying to curate that for people's attention. Um, so I think there's an advantage to that. Talk radio, yes, I think it's, it's going to grow. And that's why, you know, podcasting, um, has grown as well people love that one-to-one medium they love you know the stories has been part of, and it I suppose it, you can listen to a podcast and listen to the radio while doing other things you can go to the gym you can do the ironing you can do multiple things while listening to something in your ears so I think there's a lot of there's a lot of positives um, yeah. with, with what we work with
1: yeah absolutely um here's a an interesting question from Lunga um, Ramolo um, and maybe to you, Ian, how does one leverage the traditional radio listener into the digital online podcast arena without stealing them from the traditional format, looking at cost factor differences um, and looking at the technological gaps between the different age demographics? How do you extend the audience without robbing traditional radio? Yeah, uh, or anyone we, don't,
3: yeah we don't see it as such. So, yeah. Um, for us, it's offering the audiences out there uh, different form factors that they can choose how they want to consume the radio station. Um, our different radio stations uh, lends itself to a different speed of migration. So for example, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Radio Fire, for example, um, lends itself to a rapid speed in terms of digitization and consuming the content in the digital format. Other radio stations are less so. So we really go out there and we try and meet the needs of of our audience. Having 19 radio stations, it's also imperative for us that we do not cannibalize our own audience. That doesn't help us if the audience move from one radio station to another. What we do want to do is retain them and then move them from one, within the radio station, from one form factor, from the traditional to a more digital type. Um, So that's more of a strategy.
1: Yes, but the question really was, how do you do that? How do you prevent people from abandoning one for another, but keeping yeah. them and adding to their de- menu, I guess? It's a question yeah. of how. The, the fact that that's, so, so, yeah. I think we all that's, accept, but how do you do that?
3: Yeah, so remember what I said, for us, it isn't a, a, an abandoning. We don't have a problem if they leave the linear to the digital as long as it's the same radio station. So that's where we want to keep them uh, within the radio station. We do not have a fear of them leaving the linear. The the, the challenge is, is for us to retain them in the digital format if that's the way they want to consume it. Uh, so we've done the analysis for ourselves. And as I say, for some radio stations, we have a, a more rapid uh, transition to get to the digital space and certain um, uh, content that they want to consume. Some radio stations um, would would like that because the audience is more traditional uh, or way of consuming and we would then only take certain content where we have identified that um, of those audiences that want to consume it um, and then we'll do that. So it's about a market analysis and, and meeting the needs of your audience.
1: Okay, thanks very much. It seems um, we still are not able to get Nsinazo back, which is a real shame um, because it was just so interesting to hear um, of from the Kenyan experience. Um, Nadia, can I ask you, um, and I suppose this relates to the question that um, that Alan was talking about, uh, to respond to the, the point from Robin Jansma, well-known to us here at the Radio Academy, Um, content being king should radio position itself more towards talk as opposed to music with the rise of music streaming services what's your sense
2: I think what we want is for diverse robust content and we want it to be across a range of genres and we want to encourage um, a mix and a healthy mix of course I think that it's really lovely listening to Alan, um, you know, when you talk about the issue around you know, the, the real power and value when you said, you know, you spend more time deciding what music to listen to and radio brings it all together and curates it so beautifully for you. Um, I think that if anything, we're needing to find opportunities to work across platforms, which you're seeing already. So it's not really kind of this, it shouldn't be so much of that kind of push, pull, who's stealing from whom, et cetera. It's about... How do you pivot and how are you relevant and how are you at every touch point uh, in terms of your service offering? And it's all about this rich, incredible content, because quite frankly, France, I would not want to be in an environment where I don't have choice. The issues around diverse range of content and choice. And, you know, we're so passionate about content that includes fantastic documentaries, that includes in-depth news, current affairs and, of course, includes wonderful music. Um, and we have so much to celebrate. So I don't think it's a kind of either or. I think we need to just keep widening these spaces and giving many more opportunities with the COVID lockdown, how many people have suddenly become content creators? We are, we are having access now, especially those who do have access to, to data, you know, have the internet and it's reliable, et cetera. So it's been an explosion. So whilst we've all had to retreat and stay at home, people are busy engaging in a very creative manner. And I think that's also really exciting. Um, so I think that when you talk about how you know, uh, professionals in the industry have had to, f- to be innovative, had to find other ways, I mean, you've seen people broadcasting outside, their, you know, from their closets, making sure the sound was right. So the adaptability, the constant ability to, to, to be relevant, uh, to be immediate, to, 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 to be able to shift. I think that's really been the power of this medium. And yes, of course, we podcasting and we doing all of that. But it's a slow growth again it's got to do with access it's got to do with affordable you know uh data but it's growing it's there and how lovely that their niche services how lovely that you can now tune in get what you want on your terms um and so i think we want to see more not less and i don't think we want to have the either or i think we want to just see a, a broad explosion in fact we need so much more really good quality content to be emerging
1: yeah i, I certainly think so and um I mean, your point at the beginning was around the opportunity of digital audio broadcasting, DAB um, really being the possibility of, of of creating new channels. And there are already so many new channels. Um, I I remember one of the most moving things that I heard and saw at the beginning of the lockdown were um, there was a series of productions where orchestras and bands played individually and, and the music was mixed together uh, to create a single um, performance. And it was Innovative. It was original. It was not something that had needed to be done before, and it and yet it spoke enormously of human solidarity and and ingenuity, which is I I think um, the point um, that you're that you're alluding to. So lots of change, um, lots of opportunities that that um, that we need to take on board. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about public broadcasting. Um, uh, I'm just checking whether there are any further points in the chat, remember there's still an opportunity to make your points by voice note or by um, in the chat or in the Q&A and we'll certainly in the in the time that we've got available, um, come back to it. Um, I still see we're still not able to connect to, to Kenya. Um, but Alan, just to go back to you, um, I see that RTE also had quite a tough time recently with having to cut um, I think 1.5 million euros from the news budget. Um, I guess, is that uh, a result of the of the economic pressures that existed from COVID? Tell us a little bit more about how, uh, what that's meant for the organisation in the last couple of months.
0: Well, look, I think that like every organisation worldwide that's going through this at the moment, you have to find efficiencies and you have to find better ways to keep the lights on in the building. Um, and again... I would not be as privy to the financial situation of RTE from the role that I have. But like every organisation, I think that you have to cut to your cloth. Um, uh, and, you know, personally speaking, I think, you know, for, for the department I work in, you know, it, it one of the ways that you have to approach it is you have to be more innovative and you have to do more with less. Um, and I think as an organisation, the existing staff there, that is there at the moment, you um, and as a staff of approximately 1,100 within RTA as an organization, um, we have all worked really, really hard during a very challenging time to try and keep the level of professionalism and quality of product on air that we have. Um, and I think, you know, the pandemic probably has accelerated certain things in, in some directions. Um, but as broadcasters, as content makers, you just have to do as best you can with the budget that you have and be innovative and be clever about how you do it.
1: Yeah, these are tough things to have to go through um, for for any organization. Um, And of course, the SABC has had a very um, tough time over the last couple of months. Yeah, and it must have been very satisfying to be able to declare to the public uh, not so long ago that you'd been able to turn a profit for the first time in a really long time.
3: Yeah, indeed. Um, So it's the first time in five years. Um, As you know, we implemented a new operating model. Um, part of that and we had to go through a retracement process that ended at the end of March. And from 1 April, we were able to fully implement our new target operating model. So we could, could see the, the impact of that as we implemented the new model last year in our last quarter already uh, and into this year that the numbers were picking up. So we were ending off the last quarter at about 95% of target. And going into the new financial year, we have been exceeding the target. So yeah, it's it's really good news. It shows that our our strategies, our business models, um, and the new structure to enable that is working.
1: And that's in the teeth of COVID. I mean, that's in the teeth of the general economic difficulties.
3: So uh, within our organisation, we are not allowed to use depressed economy or COVID as an excuse for not achieving, and that is all, all, all targets that we have. Whether it is revenue, ARS, or any other uh, KPA. Uh, we don't use those as excuses.
1: Well, it's uh, it may not be. It's it's great to say you can't use it as an excuse, but it's a real thing. I mean, it's the economy has been in 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 a lot of trouble. Thank you. But to your earlier point,
3: Franz, it's how you hmm. look at it. Is it an opportunity or is it a threat? And, and we're looking at the world now as opportunities. So there are uh, companies out there that have to advertise during uh, COVID, especially if you're in the commodity business. Uh, you know, so we're seeing all of those things as opportunities, not necessarily as just threats.
1: And maybe that's the note on which to draw this discussion to a close. Thanks, Ian. I mean, we're all obviously really struck by the difficulties that confront us as a country, as an industry, um, due to COVID. Uh, But maybe the answer is to look for the opportunities that arise. I want to thank everyone who's participated today and those who came into the chat, of course, particularly um, the panellists. We've had Ian Pleikis, the Chief Operating Officer of the SABC, we had briefly Zinazo Baraka, the CEO of Kaya Radio in Kenya, um, Alan Swan and, uh, of uh, RTE in Ireland, um, and Nadia Bulbulia from, from the NAB. I need to say thank you very much to the Konrad Adnohar Stiftung Sub-Saharan Africa Media Program, um, whose ongoing and su- generous support has made the event possible. Also thanks to IONO FM, RCS Sound Software, Heads 360 Pod News, Wise Buddha, IMGR, um, the US Embassy, as well as the NAB itself. I Also really need to say thank you to everyone who participated behind the scenes. We couldn't have done it without you. Reminder that um, our program will continue for the next two weeks every day at 10 a.m. in the morning um, and 2 p.m. Um, tomorrow morning, we will have Ask the Program Manager, a popular feature where we bring together a bunch of program managers to discuss programming issues and respond to queries. And in the afternoon, I will host a more detailed discussion on the SABC with the head of SABC radio, Nada Wachela. Um, you'll see on your screen, the drawings of, of, of Ray Brumenthal. As we said, they will be available online also. Um, the program as a whole is entirely virtual. You can watch it and participate from the comfort of your sitting room. It's all free. The detailed program and the registration details are at radiodaysafrica.co.za. With that, I'd like to wish you a wonderful afternoon. See you tomorrow. Thank you for joining
0: this Radio Days Africa audio amplified session. For highlights, podcasts, and more, visit radiodaysafrica.co.za. That was a Radio Days Africa audio amplified podcast brought to you by the Vitz Radio Academy. For more information and podcasts, click to radiodaysafrica.co.za.